Hello, and you're listening to STFU, We Are Not Done Talking Yet, with your hosts, Danielle Warman and Charlotte Gabert. In our podcast, we discuss current events, popular culture, writing, books, movies, and women's lives. Hi, Charla. How are you doing? Hey, Danielle. Great to hear your voice. How are you today? I am very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry we're not in seeing each other in person, but it's one of those days we're together on Monday for a change. And this week, we really wanted to talk about climate change. We are both extremely concerned about climate change as many people are on our earth and really has come to a point that it's very obvious that things are going in an extremely bad direction. Yeah, you know, the um, the climate strike that happened last week, I guess officially it was Friday, September 20th, and then there were some other marches on the 21st, but I read that, like, I think on September 20th, 4 million people um, around the world had been involved in the strike, which they said was like the biggest action in history in terms of um, people taking action around climate. But then I thought, God, 4 million, that doesn't even seem like very many. I mean, 60 million people voted for Trump, right? I mean, I was like, man. Four million. Okay, that's good that they got out in the streets and walked around, but I was actually kind of disappointed in that number. I thought it would be higher. There should have been a million in Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Seattle. Yeah. And a bunch more in some other cities in the U.S. And then millions in Europe. I mean, in each city, right? Yeah. I'm just yeah, I know. Um, I mean, on the other hand, you know, it's encouraging to see young people stepping up. Greta made that amazing speech at the UN, and I feel like, you know, obviously those kids, those the youth, they're the ones who are going to have to live with most of the consequences of climate change and global warming. So it's good to see them. Um, energized and activated because they really, they've got to drive it, I think. It seems obvious that um, those of us who are a more advanced age kind of have dropped the ball in terms of getting things done. Yeah, we did drop the ball. Uh, As much as we voted for politicians uh, who would take it to heart to actually to push these initiatives and plans to lower our greenhouse emissions and get electric cars on the road that's kind of the same thing and uh, clean energy and renewable energy as much as we we think you and i and i suppose other people think that we did something because we voted in that direction or we went we attended a climate change march the, it, it, it didn't happen. I know. 
it's, you know, it's really heartbreaking. I guess it was maybe the New York Times that did a whole series of articles, maybe within the last year, about how at some point there was, maybe in like the 1980s, there was consensus from everybody that climate change was an issue, um, that something needed to happen. And like just recently, I saw something where they showed there was like a public service announcement with Newt Gingrich and um, Nancy Pelosi, and they were sitting side by side. Okay, so like this is back in whenever he was in the speaker, I guess. Um, 90s. 80s, 90s. Yeah, I guess you're right. It must have been the 90s. Um, and they both um, said, well, we don't agree on much, but we definitely agree that climate change is an issue is happening and we need to do something about it. And then, like very recently, Newt Gingrich was asked about this, and he said, "Yeah, well, I was wrong." So it's like it turned into this partisan issue, and I guess mainly because of the oil and gas industry and the Koch brothers. Apparently, the Koch brothers um, created a lot of disinformation and doubt about the science. They funded the Cato Institute. And, you know, they basically did all this so to delay us moving to clean and renewable energy so that we humans would keep using oil and gas and fossil fuels to make them what, even more rich? I mean, it's really so disheartening to think that, you know, these two rich brothers could have such an impact on the entire human race. And, you know, I can't help but think if I were that rich, I might actually use my money and help fund research into clean energy and renewable. You know, like think of what you could do with the kind of money they have to jumpstart a whole green economy and a green energy. It's really makes me crazy to even think about it honestly <laughs> it makes everybody crazy it's yeah, just no. wrong it's just wrong and i know i've said this to you lots of times but i was a kid i was a kid in high school in 1979 and i wrote a paper about solar energy because it was happening oh, people gosh. researching it it was not just the solar panels that you you know heat your pool water they were in the you know beginning stages of making solar come you know into a battery right and you know and i'm sure it was lousy the technology compared to now but it was it was going and our good old um jimmy carter was president and right. reagan got out in the next year boom done let's you know all of the let's drive hummers well that didn't come along until i guess the 90s or something let's drive everyone has a chevy suburban no problem and get eight miles to the gallon it was like gas 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 because that's who they're all in cahoots with oil oh companies and rubber companies uh tires oh please burn some more please wear out your tires so we can sell you some more tires which come oh. from oil it's just endless yeah i know it's 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 so disturbing and 
disheartening, you know, it's, it, it makes it really hard to think that things can be turned around, um, you know, especially when our current president is a total climate denier who just talks about how it's all weather, you know, and he pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Accords. It's horrible to have Hillary president right now during this critical time when if we don't do something dramatic and treat it like an emergency, it's going to reach a point where it's going to be the tipping point where that it, we won't be able to do anything, you know. And they already are talking about, oh, I found this really great website. It's called 350.org. It's this organization that started by Bill McKibben. Um, he wrote like the first book I ever really read about climate change called The End of Nature. I think that it was excerpted in The New Yorker. And he started this organization called 350.org. I think it's called 350 because that is that would be like how many parts per million it would be safe to have carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And you know, that would be like a target. Apparently it's much higher. It's like 415 right now, which is not Oh good. no, really? Yeah. Um, yes, I'm sorry to report. But this website is really good. They have um, climate science basics, and they, they are this. Number one, it's warming. Number two, it's us. Number three, we're sure. <laughs> Number four, it's bad. Number five, we can fix it. And I thought that was like sort of a good place to start, you know, just to kind of get some baseline numbers. Apparently, already, that the annual global average temperature is already one degree Celsius above pre-industrial levels. I mean, basically, this has just happened since industrialization, which was in the 1800s. And that's Celsius. So for those of us who live in the Fahrenheit world, that's 1.9 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, it's almost, two degrees, which never ever sounds like that much. Um, but that is a huge difference. Uh, it's so much when we think about the, it's what's the, the causing the polars, polar um, ice caps to melt. That's the biggest uh, part. And then the oceans are warmer and that causes our super storms. Correct. There's also, there, you know, there's data about the top five hottest years on record are the last five years. So uh, that must mean something. I mean, I think that at this point, there are probably a fair number of climate deniers who finally have accepted that, yes, there is some climate change. But I also think that some of them are just saying, yeah, but it's just a normal fluctuation. But that isn't true. It really isn't true because all the rising temperatures, they correlate almost exactly with the release of greenhouse gas 
passes. So that's like before the 18th century. All of a sudden, that's when people started to use coal and oil and gas. And then it was 280 parts per million of carbon dioxide. And now, you know, a couple hundred years later, it's 415 parts per million. So, you know, the idea that somehow this is some natural change that just happened, it, that's, that's not correct. The scale of it happened too fast. It correlates very directly with industrialization and burning fossil fuels. Yep. Yeah. There's really, I mean, people deny it, but I mean, and, and intelligent people, I know somebody who's an engineer who admits that climate change is happening, but he doesn't think it's human, like human caused. And so if it's not caused by humans, then you can't do anything about it, would be his point of view. So that's, that, is, that is always really upsetting to me when people who are intelligent and educated still don't acknowledge that 87% of all scientists agree you know it's it, it's maddening and it's and really ignorant yeah and and it's 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 sort of like everybody's just been brainwashed so much whether it's by the oil companies you know because they basically decide they made the decision because they knew what was happening and they decided that they were going to just attack the truth and attack you know climate scientists and keep this information from reaching the average person or just cause so much confusion and doubt that people just threw up their hands and they're like oh scientists don't agree people don't really know what's going on we can't do anything and besides we're all busy with other things so it's just been a huge delaying tactic. And, you know, it's, it's already, the thing that's really amazing, like in the last couple of years, I guess, is really when we've seen things that have been visible, whether it's wildfires in California, you know, major flooding, terrible storms, you know, or, you know, just like entire nations that are based on islands are getting flooded and they, they like won't exist in five years. Yeah, I saw something on the news and I'm saying it was at least two years ago, possibly more, where the city of Miami is already um, getting underwater in regards that the their um, storm drains are filling. So they have yes. a storm and then the water doesn't recede. So yes. it didn't make, it's not on the sidewalk, but right. it's right underneath and it's coming. And then like, you know, dun, 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 let's not, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to make it. Yeah. I mean, the whole sea level rise is something that, you know, you can measure that really pretty much. And then you can see the consequences of it. And yeah. when you see a gigantic glacier on the news, like melt and go in there and man once they're in there once that water is gone into the ocean it's not going to jump back into a, into a glacier no. you know took a hundred thousand years to get in it exactly maybe I'm not, more. I'm not 
thing I found out when I was kind of researching for this podcast is that there's actually like some glaciers provide year-round drinking water to towns and cities around the world, like La Paz in Bolivia. A bunch of their water supplies historically come from glaciers. So they have the, the glaciers um, were feeding dams, and then now that by 2016, it's said the glaciers have basically disappeared. And they're, you know, they're, I guess this place is like the Himalayas, the Andes, even New Zealand. There's places where they actually were, they were depending on glaciers for their water. It's crazy um, to think about. But yeah, at any rate, the melting of the polar ice caps is pathetic. And apparently, you know, it's happening at the rate that was, it sort of exceeded the forecast, which is another horrible thing. It did, it exceeded the forecast. Charlotte, do you remember when we went to India and um, Philippe and Sabina built their little house on the beach? Sure, that's and, right. Um, and then they built it, they couldn't have had it more than a year or two. And a typhoon came in, ate yes. the beach, like took so much away. Their house was still standing, but the, the stanchions were completely underwater. The other people lived in huts right there. They were wiped out. And that's just a small thing. And then I wonder, remember the other villages right next to that? Yeah. To that beach? Yeah. That must have affected thousands upon thousands of people just right there, never mind the rest of the coast of India. I don't know where else that storm hit. It's off the Bay of Bengal. But like, there you go. Your beach is gone. Your land is gone. You have to live somewhere else. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. And that's just like one tiny little area that we happen to have visited and know about. You know, I mean, there's certain places where people are already having to move. Like, I think, I think it's in Fiji. Is it Fiji? Where they're trying to, they're trying to relocate people already and move them. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the rate of sea level rise right now is 3.4 millimeters a year. And yeah, that's apparently that's happening and it's, it's speeding up as well. And then, gosh, then I was reading about what happens when you have ocean warming. It's not just the warming, that's really bad too. But then there's something called acidification. And Acidification destroys or helps destroy the coral. And so I think that the destruction of coral reefs is also really tragic. And tragic. Absolutely. The fish, there's a massive ecosystem living in and around the coral. That's right. It says, I'm just looking on the 350.org website that reefs support 25% of all species. Yeah, I met when I, one time when I was at Rachel Laparte, I met um, a marine scientist who was um, studying corals, and he made a presentation while he was there. You know, he talked a lot about um, how it was really personal to him that the coral reef that he had studied for his PhD dissertation had been basically wrecked. It was bleached 
and that this is something that he's been trying to spread the alarm about, you know, as a scientist, just like trying to go around and talk to people about it. And make them aware. He told me about an organization that works on coral reef stuff. It's called Coral Reef Alliance. And it's, I think it's actually based like right here in Oakland or San Francisco. They do this thing, which is actually really encouraging. They go around to places where there are coral reefs and they work with the local people to do different types of conservation. Um, you know, and it's very hands-on, very grassroots. They work in places like Bali and Belize and Roatan and Honduras and, I don't know, any place there's coral reefs. And they've been at it for 25 years. Um, they seem like they are really creative in trying to figure out how to save reefs um, by working with local people who are the ones who are kind of either directly or indirectly destroying them, sometimes totally, you know, by accident, not realizing what they're up to. So I thought that was actually, that was an encouraging column. So I think that there's a group out there that's doing this and, you know, they're doing it without a big budget. They're doing it without a gigantic um, government program behind it. They're just, you know, doing it with a small number of people and, and engaging the local population to work on it as well. So, you know, there are there are definitely organizations who are working on different aspects of this. Um, it's it's just that it seems like sometimes that the pop the politicians and governments aren't really moving past you know. Yeah, Charlotte, I wonder if um, if governments in Europe. Uh, if their leaders are doing anything about it or speaking up? Yeah, I guess, well, you know, I feel like with the Paris Accords, there was probably more um, commitment out of Europe and more maybe awareness. And, you know, probably more leadership. It seems like there's just kind of a leadership gap without the United States taking the lead. But, um, yeah, I feel like they, I, I feel like they've made greater commitments. The problem with the Paris Accords, I think, that I heard on the radio is that all the, the goals that people have set country by country, they're like sort of all voluntary. You know, there's no, there's no real um, teeth in it, if you will. And so, I don't know exactly how each country is really doing. I think in general, they're all somewhat behind in Europe in terms of meeting the metrics that they set. But at least, you know, they're doing something and they're not like in total denial and they're not fighting it. You know, sometimes I feel like um, the things that could really help might just be happening you know, at the level of companies making cars that are electric vehicles and companies that are investing like in solar energy, for example, there, there seems to be a lot of activity in sort of the green energy industry. 
And so that's a plus. I agree. Because really, like, it's really, really simple. What has to happen is we have to keep all the fossil fuels that are in the ground there and move to renewable energy ASAP. Um, you know, I was reading that we would have to actually have the emissions by 2030. And that's, oh gosh, I mean, like now that is almost just 10 years away. That is a lot to happen in 10 years. And in the process of doing that, you have to convert over to solar and wind and et cetera during that time. I feel like it could happen if um, we dealt with it as an emergency along the lines of let's put men on the moon, you know, kind of thing. I could imagine it happening in a state like California for many people, not for everybody. Um, not that we have the funds, like. You know, California's always operate. Yeah, even yeah, for various reasons where our money goes, right? Um, yeah. But but, but I, you know, the not progressive uh, states. I mean, like you said, even if it were mandatory, it's like, oh my god. Mm -hmm. And how do we stop? Okay, so we transport everything. So then you have these giant trucks burning fossil fuels everywhere i don't know when they're going to make a car battery big enough to fuel to let to get these and ships you know ships trains and and airline unfortunately like airplanes are really really bad in this they're portable they really are um which is why you know, there's this whole idea of trying to build the rail line between LA and San Francisco. And when I first heard about it, I thought, oh God, this is such a boondoggle. Like, you could either jump in your car and zoom down the five and get there in six to eight hours, or you can just jump on Southwest. Like, do we really need a train, which is going to be super expensive to build and they don't really own all the right of way land along the way? But then later I thought about it in terms of global warming and like, oh, yeah, we've got to get out of the airplanes and get into trains instead. Um, so I'm, you know, I think it's good to see California is always kind of taking the lead in these things. But I don't know if you saw recently that the federal government, the Trump administration, has basically revoked California's right to set higher emissions standards for cars that they've been doing since, I don't know, maybe the Clinton administration, I'm not really sure how long, but yeah, it's like the, the, the Trump administration wants to force California to have lower emission standards instead of higher ones. And we've had the lower emission standards since the 70s. I yeah. wasn't here, but LA was under a cloud of orange smoke. Yeah, that's so when, true. When Bob was a kid, they had days at school they weren't allowed to go out. Yeah, you know, it's so it's so easy to forget the unbelievable smog levels that we used to take for granted in all sorts of cities, and just the exhaust that would come out of the back of a car when it took off. I mean, we there have definitely been improvements in air quality in our time in our life. So that's that's a plus because that you know that was something that was a problem that got fixed. 
Oh, and we fixed the ozone, the hole in the ozone. You know, remember that? Yes. <laughs> Except I don't remember it because I told everyone it wasn't fixed. So I'm sorry that I was the last person to realize it is fixed. <laughs> well, no one talks about it anymore because um, it got fixed and it was sort of like, unfortunately, when it comes to news and media, it's sort of the exciting things that get reported and the sort of unexciting things that we don't. And so it was kind of like no news in a way that the ozone hole had closed up. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. that, was a, that was probably a simpler problem to solve. You know, it's like you had to get aerosol stuff changed out. And it was just kind of a one-off. A one I don't know, but maybe we looked at climate change as equally simple. It's just like, stop using fossil fuels, use other things, the end. Like, if we I don't, just focus I don't on think, that. I don't think it's that simple because the ocean is already warm. Yes. The sky is already warm. To get that reversed, these are absolutely enormous things. Um, that's what I'm, that's what I'm assuming is the big deal. The, the work is it, ha, you know, the, the ocean went up, the air temperature of our world went up one degree Celsius. Yes. You, what are, what are, what do you, you can't like put some ice out and put a bandaid on it. It's done. That's so, true. I mean, I think that's a good point. There, there's probably a lot of what has to happen is more like, what is the word? Not mitigation, but like adaptation. You know what I mean? Like understanding that there's going to be, for example, um, climate change refugees. There's going to be people fleeing areas that have turned into deserts. They're going to be displaced because they don't have enough food. Um, you know, there's going to be heat waves and temperature that make places that are livable now unlivable. Uh, you know, and it's like, there, we really cannot even accommodate the current number of refugees that are around for mainly political reasons. What are we going to do when we have you know, 10 million climate refugees on top of people who've already fled because of war? I mean, this, this I think is, really really not getting planned for or thought about whatsoever and yes. it's, it's Charlotte, we're going to be the refugees we're the refugees we need to go to canada we need to go to alaska that's a, that's not tens of millions that's way more than that if our whole state has to go north if everyone yeah. from texas and arizona has and, and needs to go northward so that is terrifying so i'm just going to take a break and our terrifying stat. Okay, let's take a break. We'll collect ourselves and we'll come back with kind of like the good news, positive, the upbeat part of the show. You got it. See you in a minute. Okay, bye. And we're back and Charlotte's going to start now and talk about some things that are happening that are positive in regards to climate change. 
Yes, Danielle, I really wanted to try to end our podcast on a positive note. It's so easy to feel helpless, like there's nothing that anyone can do to change the trajectory of the climate crisis. But at any rate, some people are trying. And so, first of all, the whole youth movement, um, there's actually an official name. It's called the Sunrise Movement. And this one, I think maybe Greta, the young activist, is the person who started it. They are basically working around the world to stop climate change and create good jobs. And they, you know, it's interesting that they've sort of paired those two things together. In their minds, there is not a difference between having a good economy and having a good climate. And I think that's really smart, you know, because I think a lot of times people think, well, we have to choose. Either we can have a fossil fuel-based economy that's booming, that creates jobs, or we can have some sort of pathetic um, green economy that isn't a very good economy and, you know, people won't have jobs. You know, I think it's Republicans especially set that up as a false choice. So anyway, the Sunrise Movement kids are out there fighting for this and making a lot of noise. And, um, and I think there's actually, there's a lot of kids who on Fridays they go protest, they leave school. Um, I saw a profiled a young woman who lived in California until last year, then her family moved to DC area. And every Friday she takes off school and goes to the White House and protests. And this, she's going to do this until something happens, until there's change. So, you know, I, I always get excited when I hear about just like individual people who have said, this is enough, things have got to change, and they just go out and do whatever they can. Um, so then, okay, then there's this other organization that's called 314action.org. They basically try to recruit scientists to run for public office. And 314action.org. Um, 314, I'm pretty sure, comes from PI, 3.14. And they've been recruiting and training and fundraising for people with a science background to run for office. And so they're supporting people. Some of them are scientists, some of them are doctors, nurses, um, you know, people with a scientific background, engineers who are getting into political office where they obviously don't ordinarily go. And I'm sure that it's a big stretch for these kinds of people to say, you know what, I can't just sit on the sidelines and do science. I've got to actually go out and get into politics. So I thought that was pretty encouraging because those are not normal people to um, run for political office. And I think that's kind of what we need is like, we just need a huge change in who is, who's running the show and who's making all these decisions. And then I guess my other thing that was kind of made me feel somewhat optimistic that for a while there in the Democratic presidential candidate world, we had Jay Inslee. He's the governor of Washington. And he was making climate change his number one priority. He dropped out of the race 
pretty recently, but I think he was good at least in getting the topic um, front and center, got a lot more attention than it was getting. And since he dropped out, I have heard other Democratic candidates talk about climate change more aggressively than they were doing it before. So I, I feel like the Democratic candidates are starting to take this more seriously. I mean, at the same time, the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, they basically, I think, decided they don't want to have an entire debate on climate. Um, I assume they think this is because it's not a winning topic um, that Democrats can win on. Not really sure why they make that judgment, but, you know, they, they know more than I do. But um, any rate, it's 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 encouraging to see some of these things happening in the political sphere, because I feel like that's really where the change has got to come from. Um, you know, you can have all the solar companies in the world, but if the government doesn't get behind it, it's just going to take too long. Everything's going to take too long to happen. I just thought of something, an aspect that we didn't talk about specifically, consumerism. I'm looking yes. around my room right now. I have a tele, I have a computer. I have an iPad. I have an iPhone. I have some fuzzy thing to put my iPad in, computer in. I have a suitcase. I have um, very, they were all made in China. Maybe my pants were made in Vietnam. All of them. Do we all understand that if China is burning eight bazillion tons of coal per year and polluting mm. the shit out of their country, plus the pollution blows other places and we yes. buy their products, we are assholes. We are assholes. I'm looking at my, I don't know where I would get it. If I wanted, to, there is no American made computer. Yes, nope. Apple, Apple is an American company, but they have their components put together in China in a dark um, factory, not dark, but no natural light, and people wearing white uh, uh, shower curtain mm -hmm. yeah, and all this stuff. So uh, as consumers, we're idiots. And yet now we've been led to this place that I, I don't know, like I might, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna go find an American made uh, suitcase, like who makes one and it's gonna cost 60 times more. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, true. Yeah, so sorry, that was my rant. I was supposed to be being positive, but then I thought about that it's really important that we all recognize we're part of it. Yeah, that is so true. And being an informed consumer is honestly like a full-time job. You know what I mean? It's really, really time-consuming to think about all these things. This makes me think about something else, which is eating meat and how things like cows and pigs are terrible for the environment and how we could actually make a big change if everybody just ate more of a plant-based diet. Everybody doesn't have to become a vegetarian, but just like really reducing the consumption of meat. Yeah, In fact, I heard so much water, so, so much water yes. and their emissions, their cow gas is, it just goes straight up and is hurting us. 
And yes. this is something we all deny. They, it's been known for a while and we didn't talk about it. Calforts. Calforts. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, that's a really good point. And also creating meat, making meat is very inefficient, you know, the yep. way that we do it and we grow grain and then we feed the grain to the cows, even though they can eat grass. You know, this was all in that book by what's his name? Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. Exactly, exactly. I mean, he kind of laid it out. It's like, how crazy is this that we've got cows that can actually digest grass and turn it into protein. And what do we do? We feed them corn. corn. Why? Because we can grow corn, you know, and we subsidize the growth of corn. Right. Yeah. And I'm just going to say well, one more thing about, um, about weather and food and stuff is that in the San Joaquin Valley of California, where apparently 50% of the United States of America's food is grown. I'm not sure if that stat's exactly right, but it's a lot. Yes. It's a lot. And they are growing crops which are inappropriate to a dry climate. It does not rain in the valley from right. May 1st to November 1st, except there's been this cockamamie rain because of, of climate change. And then they're growing rice. That mm -hmm. is really stupid. It should be grown somewhere wet. They're growing almonds. Almonds? People say it takes, again, I'm throwing these stats out. I hope I'm right. One almond takes five gallons of water. Now some people are tearing out their nut trees um, that could be grown somewhere else and replanting something that doesn't need as much water. And there's a whole water pot. Why don't we have a whole show on water, Charlotte? There's a whole water fixing in California that comes down from the governor. Who gets the water in the valley? Yes. Well, you know what? I'm so glad you mentioned that. There was an excellent article about the Central Valley of California and what's going on there with the change of climate, just what you were describing. It was in Bay Nature Magazine, which is published four times a year, and it was in their last issue. And they went out there and talked to a bunch of farmers and talked to what they were doing. Yep, they were tearing out the nut trees. Yep. Yep. I mean, and they're, you know, the funny thing is, of course, the Central Valley voted for Trump. and a lot of agricultural parts of our country are Trump supporters. They're red states. I just, you know, I just don't get it sometimes. They're the ones getting hurt by the tariffs that Trump put on China, but still, they're still supporting. So, I mean, I don't know if this goes back to the whole political issue, but I, I was reading somewhere that a lot of red state governors who have issues with climate change, like say Florida or Atlantic Coast, those governors are basically really, really mad at the Trump administration because the Trump administration is so opposed to dealing with climate change. But these, these are people who are dealing with it like you were describing earlier, Miami. You know, Florida is just a gigantic test case for climate change. And so I'm like, well, maybe at least some of the Republicans at the governor level or the state level will be able to have some impact and get the federal government more focused. Yeah. You know, that might help. 
it might help if those politicians care about their people and say, oh my gosh, we're going to do something for you. Federal government, you know, like yeah. they do something, get the taxes levied to, to do something. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, then I just sort of, okay, that was a positive thing and I was still thinking of more negative things. So I should probably stop. <laughs> Unfortunately, I feel like the negative column has like so many more things in it. Um, yeah, let's, okay, let's challenge ourselves. We're, we're each going to think of one more positive thing before we end our podcast. And okay, I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. I think that I actually feel pretty confident in the next generation, whether we call them millennials or whatever, I feel like if they can just take some political power, if they can get out and vote and be heard and start like running for office themselves at age 21, that I feel like they they are pretty much unified in understanding what the threats are and what needs to be done. So I feel like if it's left to them and they can actually get some political power, I think things could turn out okay. Okay. I love that. I love that. And I'm just going to piggyback on that and say that this incredible young woman from Norway, Greta Thunberg, Thunberg, right. I don't know how to say her name, has really um, lit some fires under some people's asses, young people and middle-aged people. So if she can do it, why can't we do it? She is so yes. bright, so fearless. What she is, is fearless. She just is like, I don't care what y'all think of me. It's yes. Amazing. It's amazing. So let's think of that. Let's be inspired by her and uh, make uh, changes in our lives, whether that be thoughts of what we can do and actually do them, the meat, you know, lowering, yeah, lowering our, lessening our footprint, lessening our footprint. That's a really important thing to do. Yeah, that's a really important thing to do. It's positive. It's something you can do and have some control over in your daily life and honestly just just like turning off the lights in your house and using less electricity because so much electricity is generated by coal burning plants you know just some really basic conservation things can help and you know all the usual good stuff but yeah um there is a lot that we can do as individuals if we all just do it I think you're right. Okay. Well, we're going to commit and we're going to say, go Greta. Greta is our new hero. She's, I love that girl. She's amazing. And it's such she a inspiration. Okay, honey. It was great to talk to you this week. And uh, ditto. And, and so who knows? <laughs> who knows what we'll talk about next time? It might be more upbeat, but... We really, we did feel like we had to address this topic because it has been on our minds and we've been talking about it off podcast. So thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye for now.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can get more information about it on facebook.com backslash Sharla Danielle podcast.